Uh, we are, we're so excited you're here today. Um, church is a big deal to us. We believe there's something special about, about church, and uh, you ain't got to go to church to be a Christian. We know that, but we believe this is an incredible place, a great place to, to hang out with some great people. So thanks for being here today. Really excited to jump into this new series uh, called Unbelievable, a series called Unbelievable. We're just going to talk about miracles, and it's going to be a, a good series. So when, uh, when Russian comedian Yakov Smirnoff in, uh, immigrated to the United States, uh, he said that the thing that he loved most about the United States was the grocery stores. Um, he said that he'll never forget walking down the aisle and one day and seeing powdered milk. And you just add powder or you just add water and you get milk. It was incredible. And he, he said he went a little further and he saw powdered orange juice. And it's like, you know, you just add water and, and you get orange juice. This is incredible. It's mind blown. He said then he, he looked down one of the aisles and he saw baby powder. And he thought, what a country, man. What a country. <laughs> and uh, I thought that would be the best way to set up what I'm about to tell you. Andrew and I are really excited to tell you guys today that we're expecting baby number four. We're excited about that. Uh, so it's, we're excited, so um, the kids are excited. You may have already known, because Sadie's been telling everybody when she wasn't supposed to, but uh, it's all right. We're excited. Baby number four is on the way. May 20th is the, is the due date. So, um, so this series, Unbelievable, is really about, it's about things that seem too good to be true. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at some miraculous stories in the Bible that all kind of center around the life of this guy named Elisha that you can find in the book of 2 Kings, but these are just really ridiculous stories, so ridiculous that they're almost unbelievable. And it's really easy to think, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but it's really easy to think that um, unexplainable, miraculous things stopped happening a long time ago. But that's not true. It's not true. See, I believe that miracles are happening all around us, all the time. Miracles are happening all around us. And and it's just a matter of whether or not we are paying attention, praying for them, and, and looking for them. And here's what I know and, and believe really with all my heart, that God has miracles that he wants to do in our life. He, he has miracles that he wants to do, but the key is, or the problem is, is that we need help believing. We need help believing. There's a conversation in Mark chapter 9 between Jesus and a dad who needed God to do a miracle for his son. The dad needed a miracle from God for his son. And, and he needs God to do this, but he just isn't sure that God can or Jesus can or that Jesus will. And, and uh, Mark 9, 22, 24, look, look at what this dad said. He said, have mercy on us and help us if you can. This is the dad talking to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes and the father instantly cried out, I do believe, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. I can relate to this father. I don't know if you can, but I know I can. Jesus one time described uh, faith, the kind of faith that he wanted us to have as a mustard seed. You put in the ground and then it grows into this large tree. And if I'm being honest with you, I just feel like most of the time, my faith feels more like a weed than a tree. Anybody can relate to that? Like, God wants us to have this great faith, but I, I, I struggle sometimes to believe. And I love the honesty of this dad. 
Over the years, I've just kind of claimed his words as my own. God, help me to believe. Help me to believe. I mean, listen, I believe at some level, and I believe that you believe at some level. This baseline kind of faith, this baseline belief that God is able to do great things, that God is able to intervene in some type of incredible, incredible way, but there's still this big part of my faith that needs help believing. You know what I mean? You understand what I'm saying? Like, so I know that social media uh, now makes, makes everything look more impressive than it really is, right? And uh, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but sometimes I can, I'll be kind of scrolling through my timeline on Facebook or Twitter, and I'll see somebody post this incredible picture it's morning time, and they're out in their backyard, and they take this picture with their Bible and their journal and their coffee just as the sun is rising, and you know something about you know uh, what a good God on this faithful morning or something, and I'm like whopping slobber away from my mouth, you know, and I'm, I got kids crying in the background, and there's this part of me that's like, man, I wish I had that kind of relationship with God. I wish I had that kind of like, that would be, that would be incredible, Right? And I'm not saying it's not true and it's not real because everybody's a little bit different and everybody has their routines. But there is this sense that like everything is a little more impressive, uh, not in person, that, that, that technology and media and social media has kind of made everything, uh, we, we're able to put this facade up. And I just think it would be incredibly refreshing if we started a new hashtag. If we started a new hashtag and the hashtag would be or is help me believe, help me believe. Like, how refreshing would it be to see a picture of a mom with swollen eyes? Like, she'd been crying, red, swollen eyes. And, 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 the, and the hashtag said, uh, help me believe that my children won't depart from the godly truth they were raised in. And, and they're, like, they've been crying because their kid just told them, I hate you and I never want to see you anymore. Like, nobody ever posts that picture. And I'm not saying we should. You understand what I mean? It's just like, wouldn't that be refreshing if, like, you saw somebody really going through something and it was just like, I need help believing that it's not gonna be like this forever. Or maybe like a picture selfie of a guy who's sitting out in the front of his house because his wife's changed the locks. And just with hashtag help me believe that what God has joined together, man, it's not gonna separate. I need help believing that it's not gonna be like this. Or maybe a, maybe a picture of an ATM receipt that says you can't get any money out, you're broke. And, and like, you just kind of hashtag it, like, help me believe that God knows what I need and I'm going to be okay. And I don't know about you, but I find myself in places where my faith is weak and I need help believing. And the idea that God wants to do something incredible or do something miraculous in my life honestly seems unbelievable. But my hope over the next three weeks is that God will light a spark somehow in us and somehow start this, fan this flame of, of faith in our lives and that maybe faith or belief in God, a big God who wants to do big things in your life would come alive and that we would begin and you would begin to believe again in the supernatural ability of God. Now today we're gonna read a story from 2 Kings chapter five. If you have a Bible uh, you can, you know, use whatever you use for a Bible. If not, it's no problem. It's going to be up on the screen. But we're going to read a story out of 2 Kings 5, prophet named Elisha and a soldier named Naaman. And Naaman was a man who needed miraculous intervention. 
Naaman needed God to do something big in his life like so many of us do. And what we're going to find out in this story is that God can miraculously change things that we believed would never change. Please hear that. That's what we're going to find out in this story, that God miraculously can change things that we believe would never change. And specifically today, what we have trouble believing could ever change is us, that God could change us. You know, sometimes it's easier to pray for God to do something miraculous for somebody else. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I need the most help believing that I can change. I need the most help believing that God can miraculously change me. And so this story today about Naaman is going to, um, is going to help me believe that I can change. All of us have things in our lives that we want to see changed. And I'm not talking about just the surface level, you know, 10 pounds. You know, I, I had like 47 little snicker bars last night. Anybody else? Like, you're just feeling bloated today. I just told Daniel down here, I'm starting a diet Monday. Come on, Monday, I'm starting it. Not today, we got food trucks. But Monday, Monday, I'm starting it. I'm not talking about, you know, 10 pounds or, you know, exercising more. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about at a deeper level, all of us have things that we need God to change. And it's just, honestly, it's going to take a miracle. We're kind of, you know, we're 25, 35, 45, 55 years old, and we kind of are who we are, we feel like. And, and the idea that, that somehow some part of us would change and addiction would not dominate our lives or relationship would somehow get better when it hasn't been better for 10, 20 years, some habits, some things like we need a miracle. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I need God to help me believe I can change and that he can miraculously change my life. So let's read, start in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. This is what it says. It says, The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him, through Naaman, the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Everybody say but. Everybody's got a but. We've talked about it before, but everybody's got a but. We have a part of us that is awesome, but you can feel the butt coming. You know what I mean? Like, but there's this, there's this other part. And we meet Naaman and find out he is a successful warrior. He's in a position of power. He's got influence. And almost everyone who knows him knows him as Naaman, the mighty warrior. But underneath Naaman's armor, he wasn't mighty. He was fragile. He was suffering from a contagious skin disease that was a social faux pas. So like you don't get near somebody with leprosy because you could get it. And we don't know how many people knew the truth about Naaman, but I would be willing to bet if Naaman's anything like me, not a lot. Not a lot of people knew. Isn't it so much easier to be known for what you do than for who you are? Like, isn't that true that it's so much easier to be known for what you do? to be described by what you do, to be described by your accomplishments, to be known for how much money you make or what house you live in or what car you drive or you know, where you went to school or who you marry. It's so much easier to be known by what we do and what we accomplish than for, than for who we are, especially when who we are is deadly. When what you do is impressive, you know, it's easy to kind of to, 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 to live life kind of showing that off. Because who you are behind your armor is, is sick. And it's only natural to live projecting the mighty warrior and to never really take your armor off. You know what I mean by that. And we live in a culture that is so infatuated with appearance and accomplishments 
But God's not. God's not impressed by our public persona. The other day, I, we had a soccer game, our last soccer game of the season, and uh, we lost. We did a lot of losing this year, and uh, it may have been coaching. I don't know. But uh, after the game, keep it down over there. After the game, uh, I said to Sadie, I said, Sadie, I'm proud of you. And Sadie is like my oldest competitive tomboy. She's like, for what? We got killed, Dad. I said, I don't care if you win or lose. I'm just proud of you. You know, I was mad we lost, but I was being a good dad. And, um, you know, and that's, I think that's the way God feels about us a lot of times. Like, God, what could you possibly be proud of me for? Because we, we kind of think that God judges us like society and culture judges us, but that's not the way that it works. According to 1 Samuel 16, 7, God sees past the facade. He, he sees the real us. He said in that verse, he said, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In just a moment, we're going to read about the miraculous power of God to change us. Spoiler alert, God's going to heal Naaman's leprosy, just so you know, in case you have to leave early. But before we get there, I want to tell you this. God can never change you as long as the real you stays hidden. You got to know that. That God will never be able to change you as long as the real you stays hidden. You've got to be willing to, to take the armor off. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. So we confess to God to be forgiven, but we confess to others to be healed. It's powerful, right? So I'm not advocating you go find a stranger and air out all your dirty laundry, uh, but I am telling you that secret sin doesn't go away. It grows like a fungus in dark, damp places. It keeps growing. So, I mean, I guess a good question to ask this morning would be this, is that if, if the price to pay for God miraculously changing you was humiliation, would you be willing to pay it? If the price you had to pay in order for God to miraculously change the thing about you that you want to change, would you pay that, that price? Because I think for most of us, what's keeping us from God miraculously changing us is pride, because we don't want anybody to know that we're not a mighty warrior, and we need God to help us. So let's keep reading. 2 Kings 5, 2 and 3. At that time, Armenian raiders, uh, Ar- Ar- raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Now, we just talked about uh, hiding under our armor, but I love this part of the story because I'm reminded that you can be a soldier in public, but if you have issues, you can only hide them for so long at home. So, like, here's this maid girl who knows the real Naaman because she is at home when he takes his armor off. And I see this a lot of times, like, when we're counseling families or couples, it's like the man is like a, a hero at work, and he wants to be a hero at home, but, like, you got to change diapers at home and you got to clean toilets and, you know, like you're not a hero like you are at work. And, and, and like you can be a mighty warrior to everybody else, but if you've got issues, the people who live with you will find out and know, they know your issues. They know your issues. And I think that's how it should be. They, they shouldn't be as impressed with us. And so here's, you know, here, everybody else out there, you know, sees naming in this way. But the people living in his house knew who he really was. He was a man with leper skin. So let me ask you this question. Do you have anybody in your life who knows the real you? 
you have anybody in your life that knows the real you? Not the 90% version, you know, not the testimony version, you know, that's cleaned up for the cameras. Like, what, does anybody know the real you? That they could call you up and ask you the question that needs to be asked. I hope so, because always having to hide something is exhausting. Always having to hide something is exhausting, as I've done for the last five weeks about our pregnancy. Like, it's exhausting. It's exhausting, right? So let's keep reading. Verse 4. So Naaman told the king that the, what the young girl from Israel had said uh, to go visit the prophet. Skip down a little bit. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and, and stalked away. I guess that's more passionately than walking away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the, the Abana and the, and the Farpar, better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away, and he went away angry and in a rage. And this is the part of the story I think is most important for us today. I believe a lot of us want God to do the miraculous, but we want him to do it on our terms. So we want to serve a God who's able to do the miraculous, but we want to dictate the terms. If we're honest, we kind of want to serve a predictable God who's at our command and does what we want him to do. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been mad at God before because he didn't do what you expected? Come on. Have you ever been mad at God before because he didn't do what you expected? I have. I have. A lot of us are frustrated with God, with religion. Maybe, Maybe you're back in church today for the first time in a long time because you've stayed frustrated at this idea of God, religion. And it's really because you had unreasonable or the wrong or somebody gave you wrong expectations about God. Maybe somebody that you prayed for didn't get healed. And you thought you prayed for it and God had to answer your prayers. You've heard me say this before. You know, my mom, my mom died a few years ago from cancer at age 49. And because of my dad's position and what he did, like literally, I'm not exaggerating, there were tens of thousands of people all over the world praying for her. Like if you get, if prayers get answered based on quantity, my mom would have been healed. That's not the way it works. We can't really explain the way that it works. And maybe you're here today and you have gotten angry and frustrated with God because he didn't do what you expected him to do. I understand that. Maybe you didn't get the job you thought you would get. Even worse, an idiot got the job. And you're like, how did they get the job, right? Maybe you're frustrated you're not married yet. You feel like you're running out of time. Maybe you're frustrated you're not pregnant yet. Maybe you're frustrated you're not sober yet. And you're just, you don't understand why your expectations haven't been met. And we could keep going and give example after example, but, but God didn't meet our expectations and now we're mad about it and we're pouting about it and we're poor mouthing God about it. But what if God wants to answer our prayers in a different way than we prayed for him to? What if God is so incredible that he knows the next three levels beneath our prayer that we don't even understand or that we don't even know? And we're praying for something, think this is the most important thing, and God's up in heaven going, I love you, that's so cute that you think that's the most important thing. I'm gonna answer this prayer for you, and you don't even realize you need these five things to be answered, but I'm gonna do that too. It's just gonna be different than you expected. 
You may have heard a story or a song on the radio by a lady named Laura Story. She has a popular song called Blessings. And these are some of the lyrics I love. It says, because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? What if the trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies in disguise? Love that. Love that. I talked to a friend this week who uh, told me a story about God answering her prayer just recently. Um, she had been praying for God to help her relationship with her mother-in-law. That, that over a period of time, a relationship that had once been stronger had now kind of deteriorated a little bit. And she was dealing with some frustrations and, and some anger. And she needed God to help her and to change her heart. And so a few weeks ago, she started praying that prayer. God, will you help me? God, will you help my heart? Change my heart. Help me to, 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 to kind of rekindle that, that, that relationship. And, and so, you know, a week or two went by and nothing really, anything had changed. And so in a kind of a strange um, turn of events, I guess, she had to go over to her mother-in-law's house uh, to get something, and her mother-in-law wasn't there, and when she got over there, she realized that her mother-in-law was um, going through some things and was in a tougher spot than, 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 she, than the, my friend had realized, and one of, the things that, one of the things my friend is passionate about and really good at is cleaning and organizing and and so she decided, without her mother-in-law knowing, she decided that she would stay there that day and she would clean the house and clean the restrooms and organize all the clutter. She just decided that's what she wanted to do. And so she spent her whole day cleaning the bathrooms, cleaning the house of the person that she had been needing God to change her heart towards, never dawning on her what God may be doing. And she said by the end of the day after she got done, she realized when she got done that God had changed her heart towards her mother-in-law that day through what she had done. But she said, you know what, Jason? She said, if when I had prayed that, God said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer your prayer. Go over to her house and clean her bathrooms. I'd have never done it. And I'd have been mad at God for, you know, making that suggestion. She said, I had no idea how God was going to answer those prayers, but he did. But he did. You know, now is a great time for me to be preaching about miracles because my faith, the, high, the Isaac's household faith is sky high, okay? Because God recently healed Sadie's tongue, and you've probably heard us talk about this um, a little bit. We prayed for three months. We prayed for three months for God to heal our daughter, Sadie, and God did. Actually, I actually have a picture you may have seen floating around Facebook. It's up there. Sadie had a growing cyst on her tongue for 14 months, and... Um, the doctors couldn't guarantee that surgery would fix, would fix it. Um, and so this past August, we started praying. Our church was going through 21 days of prayer and fasting. We do in January and August. And, and so we, at the top of my prayer list was Sadie's tongue being, being healed. It was growing. It was causing some speech problems. And Sadie was a champ. She never whined about it, but it was growing and and so we started praying. It was at the top of the list. And um, just being honest with you, like in my mind, I thought God had to do it. I mean, I'm not eating for 21 days. Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of bribing God with my obedience. You know what I mean? And uh, that's not true, by the way. But that's kind of what, like in my flesh, in my 
religious mind, I'm thinking, I'm not eating for 21 days. Like, God, you're going to do this one, right? And so we prayed, man. We prayed every night. We prayed, uh, we prayed every day during the fast. We prayed at night with the kids when we would go to bed. Nora would pray. Sadie would pray. God, heal her tongue. And every morning, Sadie would come downstairs, and I would say, let me see your tongue. And she'd show me her tongue, and the cyst had gotten bigger. And I would say, Sadie, I want you to know something. God's going to heal your tongue. God's going to heal your tongue. But can I be honest with you? After like 21 days, when I was sure and I expected God to do it and he didn't, I got really discouraged. And for a few more days, I would say, you know, God, you know, you know Sadie, God's going to heal your tongue. But if I'm being honest with you, in my head, I thought, I hope he does. I don't know if he will. I didn't tell her that, but I'm thinking that. If I was being honest with you, I would let you know that after another month passed, I kind of stopped praying about it. Like, I, I kind of stopped believing. I told Andrew, I said, let's just schedule surgery for January, and we'll just chance it and see what happens. And I just, I needed help believing. And it wasn't that God ever changed his timetable. It's just that my expectations weren't being met. And so my faith was, was lacking because I was mad at God and pouting about it because God didn't do it. And so I wish I could stand up here and say, we never wavered in our belief. We never wavered in our faith. We knew God would come through. But can I be honest? The Saturday morning a few weeks ago when Sadie came downstairs and said, Dad, look, I was shocked. I felt kind of bad admitting that. But like, I was shocked. Because I assumed that since God didn't do it when I asked him to do it, he was never going to do it. But that's not the way that God works. I was just pouting. God loves to answer our prayers in unexpected ways and unexpected times. Come on. He loves to do the unbelievable in unexplainable ways. Maybe, just maybe, and I'm, I'm totally guessing here. But maybe God hasn't taken the challenge or the addiction or the sickness or the loneliness away from you yet because his plans are greater than you think and he is teaching you something you didn't know you needed to learn. Maybe you're still single or not pregnant yet because his plans for your life are bigger than your expectations for companionship or motherhood. What if we asked God to, to help me believe and we stopped pouting and we committed ourselves again to trust that his ways are far beyond my thoughts, far beyond my thoughts. And if he intends for us to still live with this struggle for now, we'll bear our cross a little while longer. It doesn't mean that we're not saved. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. It just means that God isn't defined by our expectations. And so Naaman's pissed. That's a bad word, I think. I shouldn't have said that. He's pouting. <laughs> I get in trouble when I say that word, sorry. It's just under my armor I say that word at home, but I'm not supposed to say it. Mighty warrior Jason doesn't talk like that. Um, so he's mad. He's pouting. He's stomping off like a three-year-old. Well, I thought I could go wash myself in Damascus. I mean, I can't believe he wouldn't come out here. He's pouting. 2 Kings 5, verse 13. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times 
as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Thank God for friends who will tell us when we're being ridiculous. I hope you have some friends who will say, you're being ridiculous, and you're still friends with them, and you don't get defensive about it. Here's what I love about this story, and here's what I want to leave with you today. What if God intends to change you a dip at a time? What if God is going to miraculously change you a dip at a time, a decade at a time? What what if God wants to do what you want him to do? He just wants to do it in a different way than you want him to do it. See, I believe what his friend, what his servant said here is true. I believe if I stood up here today and I said, okay, you got an addiction you can't beat. Well, here's what God tells you to do. Sell everything and go uh, climb Mount Everest. And when you get to the top of the mountain, you'll be free. I think you'd do it because you're convinced that the big, flashy, splashy things is how something like that would happen. And that could possibly be the case, even though I'm not saying that's the case. Please don't do that. I'm just saying, like, I think we would do that. Like, we would do the hard, ridiculous things, thinking somehow that, like, that would be... Uh, would, would get us closer to our miracle. But what if God just wants to change us miraculously a dip at a time? What if it takes seven dips in the water, a decade at a time, right? What if God's miraculous way of changing you and me is by asking us to obey him in ways that seem silly and small? Mighty warrior Naaman had to get down in that nasty old river and dip seven times. What if the whole time you've been waiting on God to miraculously change you, God has been waiting on you to do something? What what if he's waiting on you to take off your armor, suck up your pride, and be honest with yourself and others about who you are? What if he's waiting on you to make some hard, obedient choices about ending some relationships in your life? What what if he's waiting on you to give before he changes your financial situation, but you expect him to do it before you give because that would be less scary and require less faith? Here's what I know to be true. Philippians 1.6, he who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That God's plans for your life are bigger than you realize. They're greater than you can even imagine that they are. And where you are right now is not how it's always going to be. And how you feel right now is not how you're always going to feel. That God has the miraculous ability to change your life. He can change you. He can, he can, he can change the real you underneath the armor. And so today, my, my prayer, my hope, my, my cry out to God for me and for you is that God would help me believe that maybe it's not so unbelievable that I could change. Maybe it's not so unbelievable that my life could go somewhere, that God could do something with my life. Maybe it's not so unbelievable that, that I not be chained to this addiction for the rest of my life. It seems unbelievable, but God, help me believe that I can change. Let's pray.